When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code RIOT at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 96. We're recording on Thursday, March 5th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. It's Good morning. the winter of our discontent, and it's early March. My, it's so much winter and so much discontent. It's, it's disgusting outside. I've got a cold. Um, basically, there's fluids in places I don't want it, both inside oh, and out today. We are less than a minute into this show, Jeff. Well, you know what? i got to tell the people what's going on. <laughs> um, so if, I'm going to hit my mute button liberally, but you might hear something untoward, and I'll do my best to limit that. But here we are. Um, I always feel like March is going to be better than it is. Like magically, February 28th to March 1st, the birds will jump out and the leaves will all pop out. You'll but be it's in never Disney, the case. New York. Yeah. So I guess that old in like a lion out like a mm-hmm. lamb thing is um, yeah, still... They're not joking with the lion This isn't a lion. This is like a saber-toothed tiger here in uh, Brooklyn this morning. We're so. getting like half and half in Richmond. We, it was in the 60s one day over the weekend, and it was in the 60s yesterday, and today the high is like 30, and it's supposed to freezing rain. So yeah. we're going... We, we get like just a taste of spring, and then spring goes away, and then it comes back and gives us just a taste. It's called that pneumonia weather. It's evil is what it is. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I hope wherever you are that are listening to it, it's balmy. And that all your and, fluids are in the right and, places. Yeah, your, your hydraulic systems are all operating in normal parameters. Um, so we got... Let's do follow-up. First, we talked a long time ago. Way long. I, like back in the early 70s, I think we were talking about this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Kinney, the, uh, the author of the Wimpy Kid series, who has made more money than um, he knows what to do with. And who has kept his day job like as yeah. a video game developer. He's a super interesting guy. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get him for reading live someday, but that's a secondary uh possibly even tertiary concern at this point. Um, he's opening a bookstore in his hometown in some little tiny town in Massachusetts. I can't find the Plainville. name of it. Plainville. It's Plainville. called Plainville. Yeah, like, you can't make perfect. this up. Clark has, Kent is from there, too. It I has 8,000 residents. It's 35 miles from Boston. And he wants to op- he's going to open a bookstore. He's going to sink his own money into it. And he's saying it's not sort of just a charity thing where he expects to, like, you know, basically make it a nonprofit where his own personal fortune subsidized. Like, he wants it to be a going concern mm-hmm. and do all the things it needs to bring in revenue for, for him. And... For the store, but also he wants it to help the town, which I thought is an interesting way of thinking Mm -hmm. about it as well. Um, Yeah, he said the closest bookstore to Plainville is 17 minutes away. Um, They had a Borders, but it left as a chain. He wants to be able to go into 
an independent bookstore. Um, and we talked last week about how the number of independent bookstores is up 27% yeah. since 2009. So it's it, people doing things like this, filling that gap that's left so that the people in their small towns don't have to get in their cars and go far mm -hmm. away. I don't know, 8,000. I'm terrible at like visually estimating in my brain how big a town of 8,000 people is, but I, mm. I picture it as like stars hollow and <laughs> everyone walks yeah. everywhere. So you wouldn't, you don't have to get in your car and drive 17 minutes to the bookstore. There's an artist <laughs> depiction of the building. They want to use, you can call it the reading room and it's adorable. It's like too adorable it is, it's for so words. Adorable. Um, it looks like, do you have, you know what I'm talking about? Like those snow village, like ceramic things mm -hmm. that people collect. That everybody's mom has. Yeah. It looks like one of those. Um, it just looks great. And well, it's, it's going to have a it cafe and a bookshop. And like quaint thing. New England. Yeah. Um, he's hoping that his nine and 12 year old boys will have summer jobs there eventually and become part of the fabric of the store. You know, he's like, he has enough money to do like this wish fulfillment thing that a lot of us have daydreamed about, right? Like, right. you're going to open this little bookstore and it's going to be so cute and my kids are going to be there and it'll be a family affair. Um, you know, and old Captain Nick who works <laughs> on the docks will come in and have his morning cup of coffee and we'll talk about the old days. Like, I hope it works for him, but it's interesting to, to see. It brings a number of, there's quite a few authors that have bookstores or stakes in bookstores. We've got the, Anne Patchett is a famous right. one. Um, I guess I'm like, eh, not an author really. Isn't Louise Erdrich involved yeah, in some bookstores? Yeah, I think she is too. There's another one in the Midwest somewhere. I'm thinking also, he's not an author, but a celebrity, Jeffrey Tambor, mm -hmm. I guess, is a part owner in Skylight Books yeah, Skylight. in Los Angeles. Um, and I think there are some others. There are someone, there's a, I think a model in the UK who bought a bookstore. Um, yeah. I remember linking to a story about that a while. Right. Every year or two, someone makes a slideshow of like famous authors. Who yeah, I should also I own should bookstores. Um, um, but, but it, it makes so a lot of sense. I think it does. I always wonder about artists and authors becoming business people. Um, Kenny, it seems, has an interesting financial sense as someone who's made millions, literally yeah. millions of dollars, on his books and could. I would assume, afford then to be a full-time writer, but who's chosen not to. He's kept his day job, at least as of like, I think last year, we, there was a profile of him where that was the case. He had kept his day job right. all these years, like working for a video game development company while also writing these wimpy kid books and touring on them and selling the movie and having all of that income. And that seems like a smart way to, you know, make your financial future secure, but also to be able to build towards doing something like this, which is taking a financial risk. And, and who knows if he knows how to run a bookstore, if he'll be any better at it than bookstores that have closed. But it seems that he's, you know, doing his homework and being thoughtful about it and is careful with his pocketbook, which is encouraging. Yeah, he's going to work as a staffer there. Yeah. Um, build some of the shelves and, you know, doing the, the real, like, the physical, you know, retail in all shapes and sizes is much more physical than people sometimes remember. But book selling, too, you got big boxes and oh, you yeah. shelve and things back and forth on your feet all day talking to people, moving things around. So um, it doesn't say when this is going to open, so it probably won't be for a while. So we'll have follow-up to our follow-up to our follow-up <laughs> about uh, the Plainfill Massachusetts bookstore. That Maybe we'll go on a field trip. Field trip. It's, it's kind of far. It's a little far. But um, maybe if you're in Boston sometime. We have some people, we have some book riot people in Boston. I'm mm -hmm. sure we have some listeners. I like Boston. I would go. You can send me as the woman on the street. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's do our first sponsor. Squarespace is back. 
Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful, responsive, full, functional website. Uh, the, the thing that's interesting about Squarespace is one thing that I'm really excited about the internet these days is it's a lot easier to do a lot of the interesting things on the internet that used to be really hard to do. Mm-hmm. We're doing one of them right now, a podcast, where you know, just a couple of years ago, bandwidth was so expensive that to get this file, which is about you know, 50 to 60 megabytes, to the number of subscribers we have, which is you know, on a given month, it's multiple thousands and more, would cost like more than it would cost to build a Death Star. Okay, that might be exaggerating, <laughs> but it was like so, like it would, be, it would be thousands of dollars to distribute one episode. But as bandwidth has come down, it's made it super easy. We've got good microphones. We have Dropbox where we can keep big files and send them to my brother who is our audio editor and move things around real easy. And Squarespace is part of this process of things that used to be hard to do on the internet. It's, it's cheaper, faster, and better. Now, what else do you want cheaper, faster, and better? And- the internet is getting so much more interesting now that it's cheaper, faster and better so that more people can make stuff on the internet. There's not that high expensive barrier to entry. You can have your whatever regular level expertise thing is to make cool stuff about that expertise without having the extra layer of expertise you need to like build something online. 24 seven support via live chat. And it's only $8 a month. And if you sign up for your, you get your free domain. That's the the name of your domain. So it might be, um, uh, wimpykidbooks.net. You could get that, maybe. Um, one thing that is hard that Squarespace, me, Squarespace, Squarespace makes even easier than it should be, um, even for professionals, is responsive design. Um, one thing we know about running this site for the, you know, however long we've been doing it, it seems like 30 or 40 years now, um, is a real change has happened between where people get their internet. Used to be on desktops and laptops was like 80% of our traffic to book mm-hmm. ride, just an example. Now it's about half. And the other half is split between mobile and tablet. So we've got screens that all the way from the smallest iPhone is like three and a half inches all the way on my desk right now. I'm looking at a 27-inch iMac, but I also have my 13-inch MacBook Pro. You have a 15-inch MacBook Pro. Our friend and colleague and coworker Jen has an 11-inch Mac. You know, there's all these sizes in between plus tablets. You've got a 7.9-inch iPad. You've got the 8-point, you know. But you want your site to look great on all of them. Built into templates that Squarespace provides, they have like about a dozen or so. You can use them right out of the box and then customize some of the colors and things. But the underlying structure that makes it look good on a phone and a 27-inch desktop is the same. They have it built in so that it responds to whatever screen it's on, so it shows the most important elements in the best way possible. That's really cool too. Another thing they're working on now, some of us just have like, you want a resume or you just want a cover page. It's just one page. You don't need a bunch of, you don't need a blog and a photo gallery and a sign up and an audio player and all that stuff. It's a beautiful one page online presence that you can do in just a couple of minutes. So if you just want to put one thing up about you or your project or something else, you can do it very easily and simply and still have all the full feature tools like responsive design and everything else Squarespace can provide. So to get your free two-week trial and get started building your website today, go to squarespace.com and use offer code RIOT. That'll get you 10% off your first purchase. So if it's an $8 for one month, you'll get 80 cents off. Or if you sign up for a full year, you'll get you know 10% off eight times 12. And I'm going to have I'm gonna cold medicine, so I'm not going to do the math and embarrass me and other people. 960. 960. Thank you very much. Um, go to squarespace.com. Thanks for supporting Book Riot. 
be sure to use that code if you go check out one of these sites that lets them know you came from us. They can come back and sponsor the show and give us money to pay for our day quill and our trips to Boston to visit bookstores. Um, Squarespace.com. Use offer code R-I-O-T. All I'm checking right. my math now. I'm nervous about 8 well, times 12, I'm sure but it is in fact 96. All right. So you get 10% off that. I don't need to have my math that. corrected by the internet. Well, and if you have to get charged tax, you'll get save your tax off that savings. Anyway, on, on we go. Um, all right. Oh, do we have to start with this? Uh, we, I mean, no, we don't have to. We could start with... All right, let's, with... Get it, let's, get, let's get out of the way. Talk, talk me through this one. Shannon Hale, who is a young adult writer, is, has been touring on her book called Princess Academy, The Forgotten Sisters. Um, and she's, she's been writing on her Tumblr. It's shannonhale.tumblr.com um, about the experience on her tour. Um, but last week, she went to a small school and spoke to the third through eighth grades. That's a pretty large yeah. swath. Um, and she's got, she, she writes not just, you know, quote unquote, girly books. She writes books that can and should be accessible to all kinds of kids. But she noticed near the end of her talk that in the back rows that were populated with the older students, the, the middle school students, it was only girls. And later, a teacher told her that the administration had only given permission to the middle school girls to leave the mm. class and go to her talk. Um, what makes it even worse is that... It gets that worse? It, it gets so much worse. That teacher had a boy student who really loved Shannon Hale's book called Spirit Animals. And so he wanted to see her speak. And she got permission for him to come, special permission for him to go to the assembly that only the middle school girls were allowed to go to. Uh, but he didn't go see this writer that he wanted to see speak because he was too embarrassed. Of course he was. Right. Because the administration had decided that they believed the presentation was only for girls or at least by the middle school age, that presentation was only for girls, but the younger boys could go see it too. And she says, you know, very clearly, she's not talking about girl body stuff. This isn't like you're changing body and you. She talks about books and Which writing. Which some young boys could stand to hear about, frankly, but yes, we'll absolutely. take that off the table for the time right. being. She talks about books and writing and reading and rejections and how to come up with story ideas. And because she's a woman writer and publishing works the way that it works, many of her books have pictures of girls on the cover. Um, and because some of her books have princess in the title, she's often stamped as four girls only. Um, but that when male writers have boys on their covers, they get to speak to whole schools. We've not yet heard a story about a male writer visiting a school and discovering that only the boys were allowed to go to his talk because it was assumed that only the books that, that the books he wrote could only be for boys. And so the, the thing and this is apparently not the only time that this has happened to her. It's just the most recent time and the recurrence of this um, in her experience and in other women writers experiences has led her to write this piece that she wrote about how um, this is a very concrete example of the like the cognitive biases and the unconscious sexism. Is this that, even unconscious, though? Like, I I mean, uh, whatever. I well, mean, yeah. I mean, I think the people who are making these judgments would say they weren't being said. I'm not a oh, sexist. It's I just see. those books are for girls. Um, but we, th the ways that many people assume a story written by a man or a story about a boy thing is a universal experience. But girl stories and stories written by women are for girls and are for women. And this is just, it's wrong and problematic all the way up and down. 
I just it's can't sexist. believe this still happens. I mean, it's just like it's so. And in this in this case, it's maddening that she, as a writer, is pigeonholed as being only for girls. That her audience gets segmented for her that way when she's telling stories that she believes anyone can relate to. Yeah. But the girls at least got to go to the presentation. Right. And the piece that... I wonder what the boys were doing while the girls... Like, were they, like, <laughs> making guns or what are they doing? Like, what, are, what boy stuff are they doing that's so important that mm-hmm. they can't go to the talk? Or if they... If it was... You know, if they had to stay in class, if the girls got to leave class to go to this assembly, yeah. they had the permission to. The boys stayed in class. They did their normal thing instead of going to this special thing, getting to hear a writer talk about what it is to be a writer and creativity and mm-hmm. having ideas and dealing with rejection. This kind of sexist behavior also robs boys of something. And that, you know, I am righteously angry about what happens to girls all the time in sexism. <laughs> but this brings up a really good opportunity to talk about how it, it's bad for everyone. This is how another generation of uh, of boys who become men get raised thinking that their stories are different from women's stories or that they don't need to pay attention to girls' stories. Right. Yeah, that's not for me. I don't care. They'll figure it out themselves. I can go worry about whatever I want to worry about. You know, right. go play a My, recess or right. This it, it's how entitlement happens. It's how privilege is reinforced. Of I'm a I'm a dude, and things that happen to me are things that everyone should read about. But I don't need to worry about girls' mm-hmm. experiences. I don't need to read books that have girls in them. I could never relate to that. Like th- it, this is so small minded to also assume this of our next generation of boys and girls that that these boys are really incapable of relating to a story that has a girl character in it or that we don't think they should develop that capability. Yeah, it didn't it, say any I mean not that um I'm sorry Shannon Hale owes the um administration their two cents to say why cuz but they didn't give her any particular reason other mm-hmm. Then only gave permission to middle school girls to leave the classrooms. They didn't say why. Like, I'd be curious to know, like, if they were actually forced to give voice to their rationale, like, what would their mm. reason be? Do they think yeah. the boys would be bored and then be disruptive? Do they think, you know, I, all of the answers would be wrong, but the wrongness would be interesting <laughs> right, to hear yeah, which, them say out Which loud. particular kind of wrongness? Yeah, because I don't know, because you can see, you can imagine going several different ways, right? We didn't, mm-hmm. they thought they'd get bored and be interrupted. We thought they, you know, that the presentation would be better for the, the older girls to be by themselves because they could hear, you know, I don't know what it would be, but um, it's very difficult for me to articulate anything that comes close to not being ridiculous and yeah. painful. And it it reminds me of a year or so ago, um, Meg Medina, whose book Yaki Delgado right. Wants to Kick Your Ass is about uh, bullying in middle school. And it takes place in, in New York. There's a New York setting there. But bullying we know is a thing that happens all over Mm -hmm. the place and to students in all kinds of schools from all kinds of backgrounds. Um, Meg lives here in Richmond and she was invited to give a talk at a school in a nearby district, like within a 20 or 30 minute drive of the city and then was disinvited because either the principal or the superintendent, someone in that school district, um, you know, looked at the fact that there's a curse word in her title and looked at the fact that there are some curse words in the book um, and said that they, they didn't think that her book about bullying was relevant for their students. It was really for an urban audience, which 
makes mm. the same kinds of assumptions about who this group of people is versus who can relate to a story. Um, but in a in you know, based on racial assumptions and socioeconomic ones rather than gender, but equally as problematic. Hmm. Now I'm just mad. Yeah. Like now I'm just now I'm just thinking of other things that are wrong and make me mad. Mm. Yeah, that is crazy, man. I mean, it just <sighs> look. What's the thing we're afraid of? Like, what's going to happen to the boys if they read a book with princess in the title? What is the thing we're worried about? <laughs> I mean, they're all stupid things we're worried about, I guess, that they're, you know, they're not going to be manly men and, you know, reproduce. I don't know. I mean, what is it? I guess we're re worried about the existing structure changes and people in positions of authority don't like things to change because the things are pretty much fine for them the way they are, I guess. I mean, that's mm -hmm. how these all these things ever happen. Um, I, I just can't see. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's any situation. I mean, I like locker rooms, right, where people sure. get changed. But other than that, I mean, it's very difficult to come up with reasons that most gender separation stuff works. And are you, this is a bigger question, because I don't have a real position on it. I'm just more interested in other people's position about single sex education. Hmm. Is that something you get hot and bothered about either way? I don't really get hot and bothered about it either way. Also, I don't have to think about that decision for children because I don't yeah. have children. So, but I've I've seen it. I have nine nieces and nephews, and some of them go to private school. And the nieces, who are uh, the ones who are teenagers now, who have gone to single sex schools, and one of them now is in a co-ed school, um, has said that she really liked being in a school that was just girls um, because she didn't have to. The social expectations she felt around her appearance didn't matter as much. Mm -hmm. There weren't boys to be dressing up for and impressing. Um, everyone wore a uniform and she didn't feel like she needed to put makeup on because there weren't going to be boys around. And some of that could be her. A lot of that is social structures and conditioning about girls' experiences. I can see a lot of value to uh, all the things about being an adolescent that are distracting. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can see the argument there for separating adolescent girls from adolescent boys and at least removing that piece of the distraction from the educational environment. But there are so many other distracting and uncontrollable pieces about being an adolescent yeah. anyway. I I don't know. I, That's the angle like, I was coming on is like if you had a yeah. generous reading, even if it was even if it's wrong headed about this is maybe they were thinking along similar lines. They were more thinking about, you know, they made the wrong premise decision that this is a thing for girls. And if they think it's a thing for girls, maybe it's better for their enjoyment or edification if the boys who are going to be disruptive aren't there. Mm -hmm. That's the best I can do. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't agree with the premise at all, but I'm just trying to think about well, it from that. They did send the younger boys to this thing. Yeah. Which so, maybe isn't a distraction for the middle school girls because you know, I don't know. I'm just, maybe not. Usually, even when people do terrible things, and this is a bad thing. I'm not sure it's a terrible thing. It's just a bad thing. They, they usually think their own intentions are good, right? So mm -hmm. I'm just trying to think of like what their intentions, what they thought they were doing. Um, and that's kind I, I of guess... where I would, if I were trying to explain this to someone and I had egg on my face about it, I guess that's maybe what I would say. I wonder if there even were 
real intentions. Maybe, like, maybe I, not. Maybe I, like, that. Eh, this is for girls. I think a Just lot let the of boys the times, go run around yeah, and play with right, mud. Right, yeah. I think that's where a lot of these things come from is it seems harmless to yeah. just let the girls go to the thing that has the pink cover with a with the word princess on it and not make the boys bother with the thing because, oh, the boys probably won't enjoy it anyway. Like, And I'm being ungenerous, but I also don't feel that a school administration that assumes that a story is only for girls or only can be related to by girls deserves my generosity no, in assuming I don't think they it had good intentions. I'm just trying to actually think about it from like trying to find a more interesting angle than this is mm. dumb. Right? Yeah, I think it would be great. I would like for there to be a more interesting angle. I guess I'm doubtful that there is yeah. one. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're absolutely just right. Just let me be that. a jerk. <laughs> no, no, you're not being a jerk. You're not being a jerk. Um, all right, let's 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 see. Let's oh, this is a cool happy. story. This is I kind of really can't cool. believe this story. To be to be honest with you, um, so let's see. There is a basically a group called the College of Wizardry that does live action role playing games in a castle in Poland, LARPing. For those of you in the know, and this castle um, looks so much like Hogwarts. It's, it's crazy. And um, we'll do a link in the show notes. You can see it even has like this long bridge across like a big valley, like that they often walk across uh, in the movies. Mm-hmm. And they've they've been renting this castle to do these events um, a couple times a year, um, and they're doing a crowdfunding campaign to raise money for new events. And one of their goals, though, if they get a million dollars or is a million pounds? I, I think it's a million pounds. A million pounds. They're just going to buy the castle and like make sure that it's kept safe for this event. Yeah, and this, this first campaign launched on February 28th for $50,000, and they're at just over 26000 while we're recording today wow. on March 5th. So in a week, they've raised over $26,000 toward their goal. They have 56 days left. Of fundraising, so it's looking like they'll exceed the fifty thousand. Yeah, they're probably not going to get a million based on that, but you know. But yeah, they're going to do. They're going to do multiple camp. This is just so cool. I love the idea of a group of fans owning a freaking castle (laughs) to do LARPing. Harry Potter fans mobilized are like a formidable force. Um, and you know that just the passion they have, the people have for this stuff, is remarkable, and it's global. and it's a thing that wouldn't happen before the internet. Like, no, how would you? You it. wouldn't have been able to connect with Harry Potter fans. You never know about the, the castle, over. the group, or have a way to collect money. Like, none of those and things would, imagine would be you can, possible. Can, yeah, you contribute to this. Now, down the line, they buy the thing, and then you save up your dollars, and you go on a trip to Poland to the yeah, Harry Potter no. LARPing castle. It's it's crazy. This is renewing my faith in humanity. Um. Also, that you can get a cal- you can get a castle for a million bucks. Like this is a, cr- I mean, you wouldn't really live there because it doesn't have like, I don't even know that it has plumbing and stuff like that. Mm. From what I can tell, like I think it's just an old castle, and all the things about it are old. Um, but they as a play r- space, it's kind of remarkable. They have this room set up that's basically the Great Hall with long yeah. tables in it, and all the LARPers are dressed in Hogwarts robes. And I want to go to there. You know, this this reminds me quickly, oops, um, of a um, another kick. Well, this is what this LARPing one isn't on Kickstarter, is it? Or is it on? It's on Indiegogo. Indiegogo, a Kickstarter I was going to mention last week, and I just we ran out of time. Um, that has a few days to go left on it. Has five days to go. Recording today. Today is the fifth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it goes through the through March tenth. If you're listening, um, Kurt, there's a Kurt Vonnegut documentary being kickstarted right now. It's called Unstuck in Time. That they're raising money. Oh, and they've passed their goal. Well, there they go. They had a two, uh, quarter of a million dollar goal. 
and they've raised $262,000 to do this very, you know, professional, a lot of the people involved in it are serious people with, you know, reasons um, that I think it's worth mentioning here to support. Um, but they have funded it, so it's going to happen. But if you want to get on early and have an early screening or a disc or anything like that, um, kickstarter.com, and you can just search for Unstuck in Time or Carbonic it, and it'll lead you there. But I think that's going to be a cool project. One of the more famous authors um, of the 20th century that doesn't have yet a full-length feature documentary. So it looks like for, let's see, what's the minimum price to get in for one of the looks like 20 bucks you can get a dvd early um so that's worth working looking at too all right what are we doing we got one more since we're talking about the crowd funding oh yeah this is super interesting um you lead off and i'll okay so uh borderlands books is an independent science fiction bookstore in san francisco's mission district and they announced a few weeks ago that with a minimum wage increase that was passed by the city's voters um, from less than 11 dollars an hour to 15 dollars an hour by 2018 that was going to put those minimum wage requirements were going to put Borderlands books out of business. So they have been looking at ways to reduce costs, but also ways to help them be able to pay their employees and stay in business and bring more money in. And one of the things that they have decided to do is offer sponsorships of the store. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a membership like what you get at Barnes and Noble where you pay uh, an annual fee to then get discounts on things. But this is sort of, it, it's a patronage yep. model of you buy in to, to be a supporter you of don't this get anything. bookstore because you want the bookstore. Right. Like the thing you get is that the bookstore continues <laughs> right. to exist. Yes. Right. Um, I think we have differing opinions on this, but I know we're both interested in mm-hmm. it. Where, where do you fall down? Well, um, I guess before we get to that, I think it's worth noting that the thing that precipitates this is just let, just that paying minimum wage is a hardship for a lot of bookstores. Mm-hmm. Like, and raising, well, if it's a hardship, you're not in business, but raising the minimum wage is a hardship for bookstores and a lot of small businesses that depend rightly or wrongly on paying as people as little as they can to keep their doors open. Because for a lot of bookstores, the margins are razor thin. It's expensive. The revenues aren't that great. You know, oftentimes the place you need to be to have a bookstore is often in the most expensive part of town because you want foot traffic and things like that. So your rents tend to be high, things of that nature. So I think that's worth talking about. Something that's not talked about that often. Apparently it was raised at Winter Institute, which is kind of the the big books, the big bookseller, um, uh, jamboree that that goes on every year. Apparently, there's some discussion about that. I saw some about it on Twitter, and like it's something that's not talked about, um, and is worth keeping in mind. So that that's something I noticed first is like, wow, that big of a that change three dollars and change over four years of a raise is mm-hmm. a threat to the store. Anyway, um, how do I come down? I mean, I guess I think if people are buying it of their own free will, I don't see a problem with it. I think it's interesting. Um, I guess if we're thinking of patronage, I don't know that if I had a hundred dollars to give, I wouldn't give it to my library instead of a bookstore. Mm. Does that make sense? I mean, maybe it's not a zero sum, maybe that's an unfair zero sum sort of play. But if I'm trying to think of what is actually good, the best use of my dollars for the literary community and reading in general, um, especially since keeping open a bookstore is really to keep open this thing that people that have quite a bit of disposable income and live close to it can, you know, as a, as a philanthropic play, I don't love it, but as a 
you know, I'm giving this money because it's a business I like, you, people can do whatever they want with their money. Right. Yeah, I guess if if the thing you want is to be able to continue buying your books from an independent bookstore and now you have to pay for the privilege of doing yeah. that, but you're willing to pay for the privilege of doing it and being able to, I guess, presumably talk to the booksellers that you know, go to events there, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Having a bookstore down the street from you is a thing that you value and you're willing to just straight out pay for yeah. um, so that you can buy your books there rather than buying them anywhere else or using your library or whatever. Like, right, that's your that's your money. You can do it. For me, the part that like rubs me a little mm. the wrong way is that publishing, it seems so often veers into like being proud that yes. a lot of the things that publishing does are not fiscally sustainable. <laughs> uh, public, like uh, beginning publicists who live in New oh. York make oh, embarrassing very small bad salaries. Salaries. Um, salaries that would be difficult to live on in like Midwestern yeah. cities, but that are virtually impossible to live on in New York. And, and that so does they're feed working. into something we talk about a lot, which is why, you know, publishing's diversity problem. Yeah. You have and to have a lot of money for most right. people and to so, live in the city. And most people have a lot of money or white. Right. Out. There's this dialogue and this script about like, well, no one's in publishing for the money. We do it for the <laughs> love of literature. And, you know, because the written word matters and it's noble. And like those, those things are true. We all believe that the written word matters and that books change the world and they change our lives. But if the only way that we can justify continuing to run businesses is because it's too noble for money mm-hmm. or or we justify paying people $7 an hour um, because a bookstore just should continue to exist. Yeah, it's, like, a, like, it's a good in itself. Like, like there's a preordained, right, moral yeah. value to a bookstore rather than to a library um, is uh, like if this particular instance is fine with me, whatever, if you want to pay to sponsor your bookstore and continue to be able to buy books from them. Those are your dollars. That's fine. But as a part of, as one piece in the larger way that we talk about the book industry and what books are like really books are products and people produce and make those products and labor goes into producing them and into selling them. And if we can't run an industry without consistently underpaying people, Mm -hmm. we have a problem. Mm -hmm. And it seems that we cannot run this industry without consistently underpaying a lot of people. And so we do have a problem. Um, And I don't know what all the solutions are, but I think we need to talk about that, that this, the dialogue about uh, we're also noble because we are not in it for the money. Like that's fine. You don't have to be money motivated, but it would be really great if we could pay people fair wages. Well, one thing, you know, this is one thing um, that I never really thought about until I started, you know, reading book news for almost, you know, part of my living, is the idea that one problem independent bookstores have is a pricing problem, because a lot of times the prices are printed on the book, so that if you live in, ex- you know, if you are in, ex- in a very expensive neighborhood or city or whatever, you can't charge more right. than what's on the book. Whereas everyone sort of, I think, knows. If you stay at a hotel in Manhattan, you're going to be cha- paying more than if you stay in a hotel in Dubuque mm-hmm. because it's, you know, supply and demand and real estate and blah, blah, blah. Or even something as simple as, I don't know if you've ever looked at like the prices of, of, of uh, Manhattan Chipotle or McDonald's and compared them to say a Richmond Chipotle or McDonald's. Sure. Like it's, you know, 20% more expensive. Mm-hmm. Whereas, so if you were buying a $25 hardback in a real expensive part of town, um, 
it probably would make sense for it to be $28 rather than 25 Right. Um, but they don't have any elasticity in pricing because it gets printed on there. And I don't know why, I don't know why, what the, what the advantage of printing the prices on the book is now. Like, you know, how many Mm. consumer goods do you actually buy that have the prices printed on them? It's very unusual. Presumably your grocery, like my grocery store and your grocery store pay Wonder Bread the same amount for every loaf of Wonder Bread, whether it's going to a Richmond grocery store or a New York one. But the New York store is able to put a higher sticker on that. And neither of us knows how much our grocery store, like what what the wholesale price was. And it, it books work that way. The publisher sets the list price mm-hmm. any bookstore buys it for basically the same bulk yep. discount uh, but right they don't have control of their pricing as a way to moderate their expenses mm-hmm. or to respond to the to the varying expenses it is strange yeah that that, that it's done that way and i'm sure right. i'm still looking for a good history of publishing like merchants of culture which both of you and i read is pretty mm-hmm. good but like there's a lot of nitty-gritty things like that that I like to know. Like, like probably, why does it do that? What's the original idea? Why does it stick around when so many other things don't have it on there? I just do not know the answer. It's probably to it. this is the way we've always done it. Somebody yeah. like somebody put the, these on years ago, and like I don't know, no one ever decided. But that we was it stop. not on? I'm just trying to think. Was it not on CDs? I don't remember them being printed on CDs. Like. Books books as a consumer item are older than a lot of the consumer items are still on there. So it could have been one of those things like maybe maybe it could have been the bookshop didn't have printers. So mm. that rather than have to write everything on every damn book by hand, like the, the publisher's like, you know what, we'll do you a favor and we'll just print everything on there. Hmm. So you don't have to, ha- I mean, it could be maybe something like knows. that. Maybe someone knows. Maybe we That's have what I'm a, saying. Like a maybe listener we have people who knows out there. Because we've asked some questions before about like French flaps and we've gotten some interesting answers about stuff like that. So A, if you do know the answer, tell us, podcast at bookriot.com. Or if you know a place where you can find it, or if there's like a wise old man or woman or whatever that you know <laughs> who's been in the the gig forever that we could um, tap for these sort of answers. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I I'd be concerned. Like I'm, I'm thinking myself from both the the patrons and the patronese point of view. Like if I own the bookstore myself, I think I'd feel some more compulsion to be transparent about my finances. It mm-hmm. doesn't say here if they're doing anything about that. I would also be worried about like say if I wanted to give myself a raise. Right. Or something uh, of that nature or, you know, I don't know. You enter in, I think, even if it's not a legal contract with your patrons, I think you enter into an ethical contract of some kind, or at least I feel like I would be, mm-hmm. where some of my decision making would be altered. And maybe that wouldn't be bad. But, you know, there's what, several 500, 300 people have signed up to do it already based on this article? Yeah, they exceeded their goal. So um, there was a follow up just yesterday, I think. I mean, do you, are you going to, are you going to take their phone calls more often? Right, and and if you do, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I'm just saying, what does that mean? Um, is it weird like, to be dependent on people that aren't actually buying enough books to support you? I don't right. know. Do like they, it's weird. Do they literally? If you're a patron, do you literally just get for your hundred bucks or whatever, uh, like a receipt, continued access to the store, yeah. or like even if that's all that's listed, people are people, right. and someone's going to show up in your shop and either want you to listen to their idea because or I want to have my wedding here and don't charge right, because me for they're one it of your or patrons whatever. or yeah. their brother wrote a book and they want you to host the event because yeah. they pay, they're helping you stay in business. And so you owe them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 
I have some, I have a lot of questions. It's, I think it's interesting. I'm curious about listeners. Like if you're yeah, local. I'm interested if you've heard you know, of this or what you would, what you think about this. Yeah. Do you use your local bookstores enough that it would impact you if one of them were going to close? And if one of them were going to close, would you shell out, mm-hmm. you know, from your own pocket to help them stay open just to have them be there? I'm, I'm just curious about it. Yeah. And it's, I think it's interesting. Like, they say in this article, like, you know, maybe if this is something that catches on, other businesses could do the same. It's like, one reason that I think a bookstore can is because we do attach this other sort of X unit of value to books that bookstores get by proxy. That it's something more than just a retail establishment. Like, like would your local massage, you know, spa be able to do this? I don't think yeah. so. But like music co- stores. Mu- well, where'd they, yeah, the- where's your local music store? Like, good luck right. with that. Um, you know, your coffee house. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't be like, yeah, I'm going to give them a hundred bucks just cause so they can stay. Oh, it is interesting that bookstores have this sort of surplus value around them that people are willing to throw money in the kitty for, um, which I don't know. I'm not like a strict capitalist, but I do wonder if there could be some unintended consequences to that sort of action. And maybe they're good, maybe they're bad, Mm -hmm. but they're unintended consequences. And that's why that's called unintended. But um, I think I like the experimentation. Now that I can get behind. Yeah, let's for put sure. it out there or ask our people. Let people who want to support us support us. Not worry about what people think. Like, don't worry about Shinsky mm-hmm. and I think um, by any stretch of the imagination for this. Um, but I do think it's worth thinking about from sort of a top-down level. Like, what is it we're supporting, and what do we want to support um, with our money? Um, I, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't have a local bookstore. Yeah. Um, I used to have one in Brooklyn that I would, I would buy some books from, but it was also, you know, it was a 20 minute walk away. So it wasn't my local local, but I can imagine if I had one like on down the street that I walked by all the time and I browsed in and like, maybe it's like a quality of life type of thing, like almost like a park where you can go in and take a look, even if you don't buy something, you know, you spend a few minutes in there and you feel good about it. Um, that part I could see. All right. Where are we? We got to do our next sponsor. All right. Who's, oh, go, go Scribd for it. Scribd is back Scribd this is week. Back. Excellent. Yeah. If you have not heard of Scribd, they're a subscription. It is a subscription book service that, that gives you unlimited access to a library of more than half a million ebooks, 30,000 audiobooks, and recently they added a bunch of comics. So whatever rings your bells, you can try that. You can try those formats. Tons of publishers are participating, major houses like HarperCollins and Simon & Schuster and Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, but also innovative small presses like McSweeney's, CounterPoint, Tin House, Melville House has some stuff in there. Um, You go to scribd.com, S-C-R-I-B-D.com slash bookriot, and you'll get a month free to try it out, to read as many eBooks, listen to as many audiobooks, try as many comics as you want from their selection. It is always all you can eat. Um, after the first month free, it's $8.99 a month for unlimited reading, listening, and comics reading. Um, we love this experimentation, but also the model of being able to experiment within your own reading yes. life. And that's one of the things that since the subscriptions have rolled out, we've both been really excited about that you can pull up you know, you've got your month for free, you create your Scribd account, you can pull up their homepage and get curated collections on different themes and ideas. But also, and those are created by real people who work for Scribd and read books and think about, you know, how to curate collections. But also they have algorithms that look at how you rate books and recommend things to you based on what you like and what you don't like, Mm -hmm. um, which is equally important, I think, in getting your taste, you know, tailored to. Um, But if you're looking to try new things, 
things, you can scroll for hours through these curated lists and add stuff to your reading list, see what other people are into, read stuff. And it costs you, you're risking nothing. Yeah. Like for your eight ninety nine a month or your free month trial here, you can try as much as you want. And so trying something you've never read before, uh, mm-hmm. like maybe you're not sure about romance. So you can try some romance. You can try some genre fiction. You can try a short story collection or an anthology or whatever. Anything you're not certain about, you can try it. And if you don't like it after 20 pages, you can put it down and you're you're out nothing. Um, <laughs> it makes it, it makes it so much easier and exciting to explore those options in your reading life without feeling like, oh, you're, I'm plopping down 10 bucks for this ebook. Right. And what if I don't $25 like it? Is, for a hardcover. Yeah, it's a great way for me. The ebook subscriptions have been a great way to discover new authors that I might not have picked up otherwise mm-hmm. because I wasn't sure about making the commitment um, and to get into new genres because you can just try it and find new things that you like, then dive back through all their lists of recommendations and continue reading those things, but also expanding your readerly horizons. Um, I think it's so, it's just so great. Um, They have great comics. If you're, if especially when we've been hearing, especially since we launched panels, which is our sister site about comics, from a lot of Book Riot readers who are starting to see how comics are crossing over into the mainstream, but maybe you don't know where to start, or you're just not sure that reading a comic is going to be for or you. Or we've tried digitally. A lot of people haven't tried their comics digitally right. yet in script. Yeah, course, this is digital. a great way to do it. Um, we both love audiobooks, and so we talk about that all the time. But you can check scribd.com slash book riot and look at the audiobooks that are available. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, big stuff like The Hunger Games. Bel Canto by Ann Patchett, um, The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which since it's the never ending winter, that would be a great oh, thing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. To listen to, but To Kill a Mockingbird is there. Um, Sissy Spacek reads this one. And mm-hmm. so that might be a great way to revisit To Kill a Mockingbird before the new Harper Lee book. Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. You Daring know, that's an interesting point. I've been Renee thinking Brown. about reading To Kill a Mockingbird again, and maybe I'll do it on audio just for a different experience. I know a lot of people who do their rereads on audio when they Mm. do reread something, just so it's a slightly different experience. Or, I don't know, often I'm multitasking when I'm listening to an audio book, so it doesn't feel like I've given up reading time for a reread or I've given up reading time to do something practical because I'm like driving and, and putting a book in my brain at the same time, which I love that efficiency also. Um, there's Neil Gaiman, Anne Patchett's essay collection is here, Michael Shabon. There's just tons and tons of great stuff to start from and, and many things that we have listened to and loved. So if you want to try a month of unlimited reading and listening and comics-ing, uh, I'm just going to make up Jeremy's like that. now. Yep. That's, that's what we're doing. Uh, you can go to scribd.com, S-C-R-I-B-D.com slash bookriot Get your one month free trial. Let us know what you read or listen to mm-hmm. or which comics you test out. Um, if you're stuck, you can send us the ones that you're looking at and we'll help you narrow oh, it down. Oh, that's a good idea. If you got and a make decision between a couple things that we can help. We the O'Neill Shinsky Twitter book recommending yeah, service. It's free. Like. That's what we like to hear. Um, okay. And thanks to Scribd for sponsoring. That's a great, I mean, a month of free reading for all you could read. What's There's really nothing not to like yep, about that. $8.99. Not bad. Yeah. Okay, well, run out of time a little bit. Why don't you pick from oh, these that are, little, mine, that are remaining here? Mm, 
Well, we've got a little happy follow up that there's not much to say yeah, other let's than do that, that, it's, that it's happy follow up. Um, but several months ago, we talked about the crowdfunding, sort of just social fundraising that was going on for the Ferguson Public Library, which had stayed open and provided services to members of that community uh, in Missouri when the public schools were closed and when many of the other uh, public services were closed. Um, through fundraising efforts, largely led by Ashley Ford. Uh, they raised, we, they, readers on the internet, raised more than $350,000. And we found out uh, a while back that they were going to be able to create a new position. And mm -hmm. so now the Ferguson Library has hired their new children's librarian. Um, before, they only had one full-time librarian who was running the whole show himself. And now they have a full-time children's librarian named Amy Randazzo. Uh, so she... Uh, she'll be starting soon. They have this unprecedented budget now for the small library to be able to provide services to the community. And one of those is having someone devoted to, uh, to children's books and services. Yeah. Just a cool, a cool, happy follow up to the literary community coming together to support uh, an element of the literary community that was definitely providing a service to their community um, at a time of need. So there's a full profile of her in Library Journal, and we'll link to that. Oh, there is. I haven't. I, I like to read that. Yes, welcome, that welcome to the literary internet, Amy. Uh, welcome to the show, as I Good like luck. to call it. Um, all right. <laughs> Where do you want to go? Uh, well, let's. We've got one. Let's hold off that big one because it's kind of disgusting. I want to talk about it. We'll do a little more news. Veronica Roth. Um, I don't know if she announced it this week or it was announced um, that she has a new book duology, I guess. We, is this the, really the best word we can come up with, with two like a two-book series? Can we just have a pair of books, like a set? Does it Duology, really? I don't know, but like trilogy, that's a nice word. Duology, I feel like I'm trying too hard. I, it's I don't clunky. Know. And a pair, just like that's just two things. A couple. A couple of books? Boy, that feels well, underwhelming. But a duology, it's only two things. Like, regardless, it's only two. But they're, two. like, connected and, you know, a two-part series. It's a two-part series. <sighs> yeah, we did a lot better there. Help us out, people, if you know a better <laughs> word. Maybe we can do a crowdfunding campaign. Maybe everyone else likes duology. I no don't know. one like No right-thinking person thinks that's acceptable. <laughs> um, anyway, it's a new, new two-book series coming out in, I just lost it, getting crazy. 2017 20, and 2018. So we'll be back-to-back in years. Um and it's not a follow-up to Insurgent or Divergent or Allegiant or Detergent or whatever the books are called. Um, it's a new story, and it's about a boy who forms an unlikely alliance with an enemy, and they're both desperate to escape their oppressive lives and reading copy now, and they help each other to attain what they most desire for one, redemption, and the other, revenge. And the blurb, and I don't know where this has come from, it's just in quotes in this Guardian article, it's in the vein of Star Wars. So I don't know what that means exactly. Like, is it, sp I guess, space. Space? Well, you haven't seen Star Wars, so you don't know anything. No, but I know enough about Star Wars. I have a osmosis. What's your next thing? What's the, Okay, space. What's the next thing you could say about Star Wars? Jedi? Every, uh, Yoda, Oh, okay, Hoth, you know the character. Tauntauns. <laughs> I read this book, uh, or I listened to this book about, called uh, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, and they talked about trying to find someone that knew nothing about Star Wars. And like, Oh, wait, Princess Leia's Golden Bikini. Yeah, well, that, too. that should be known the world over. Um, Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> and they had to go to like this um, Native American reservation and this guy that lived like out by himself in the in the hills to find mm -hmm. someone who didn't know anything <laughs> about it. And it turns out he did had seen like an X-Wing one time and still was <laughs> still. So, is, so it could like, mean almost anything. I think what this means is they want us to buy it. 
like, what's yes, this in I the vein of Star Wars? This means adventure story in space. Yeah. Um, I also think when you market something in the vein of Star Wars, you're going for um, boy and girl readers, uh, but you want to get the boys. Like, you don't market a thing in the vein of Star Wars if you're willing to be publishing just to girl readers. That's an interesting... Is Divergent, is it largely female readers? Probably, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and there are whole corners of the internet devoted to um, how hot four is. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. There's a um, corner of the internet dedicated to how hot most people that are on movies and TV are. It's true. At some point. Uh, yeah. Um, so, anyway, so that's in the vein int- of Star very Wars. interesting to see. Um, out of the gate before Suzanne Collins this time. Mm-hmm. Also, it's worth mentioning she's only 26. She seems really cool to me. Do you follow her on I- Twitter? I don't. I don't think so. I, I do. Say, I don't know, I, but I don't. I don't think so. She seems like, but she's very forthcoming and seems very down to earth and like you know. She's got to be a go getter. She's putting oh, out books at a high speed. Man, did you see in there thirty-two million copies? Mm-hmm. Not to mention all the movies. Yeah. And yeah, she's. She is not messing no, around. No, she's not messing around. Because I, I was following her on Twitter, and she, she was, like, talking about writing whatever she's working on. It's very, like, uh, you know, I just want to eat chocolate and stay in bed today. But, you know, I like the human part of seeing people's Yeah, let's be process. friends. Um, but, yeah, so she must have been 21 when the first yeah, Divergent book she came she was out? Um, she was still in school yeah. in Chicago in college when she started writing Divergent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, somewhere between 18 and 22, I guess. Yeah. And then she's only 26 now, so she would have been like 22, 23 when Divergent came 32 out. 32 million copies. Man, what a way to start. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting duology. I wonder, I'm sure she'll talk about it as we get closer. I wonder why she went that route. You know, because it's, it's neither mm-hmm. a trilogy nor one book. Like, right. Is, is all, is, if you didn't know that two is between one and three out there. Maybe duologies are the new black and that's the thing. I was trying to think of others. I was having a hard time. Duologies? Can you think of any others off the uh, top of your head? N.K. Jemison, The Killing Moon. Oh, is that two? I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, whatever comes it. after it. I'd like to it. read that's that a, at some point. That's yeah, a good The one. Killing Moon is great. I haven't read the second one. Yeah. Um, that's a duology. I, I feel like I'm hearing the word yeah. more often, but I don't know if that means that we're doing more of these two book series yeah. or just people are now calling the two book series duologies. Well, like some of Maybe them have a both. sequel, but having a sequel to a book that you didn't intend from the beginning, I think is different than this, right? Where it's meant to be two, like probably there'll yeah. be a cliffhanger at the end of one or something like that. Right. Um, whereas a sequel to a book, like it wasn't intended to be a series. So it's just, yeah. And a, a duology sequel. doesn't have to be a linear line between the story in the first book and yeah, the story in the second no, book. It might true. not be book one and then a sequel. It could be like the meanwhile thing. You could get the same story, but from different perspectives in different books. There are For all the book different... lists out there on the internet, I looked around the other day and I couldn't find one about um, book du- duologies. So that's something we're going to be looking for. That'll be a big event in 2017. We, didn't, mm-hmm. we haven't really had a big publishing event in a couple years since... But oh boy, are we going to have one this Gone summer. Since Gone Girl and Fifty Shades in 2012. I guess we talked about a few weeks ago that 2013 was the year... Excuse me, 2014 was the year of The Fault in Our Stars. There's really no question about yeah. that. Yeah, and this year we'll have Harper Lee in the summer yep. and Jonathan Franzen in the fall, yeah. which is a guaranteed big publishing event, whether you like it or not. Um, yeah, I guess that's right. We're gonna Harper Lee will be, I mean, two million books in a year. Mm-hmm. That's a big At deal. Least. Yeah. So um, maybe so then 2016. I don't know if there's anything coming out in 2016 to look forward to. I'm, yeah, in terms of like be. a we'll huge, know, like a huge, huge. We should know series. by May. Like by the time we get right. to Book Expo, we should be hearing about 2016. That's true. Um, if there's a, if there, we'll see a huge banner for if there's some um, 
giant book coming out in 2016. So but more to look for with Veronica Roth. And meanwhile, I will free associate Star Wars. <laughs> we have to remedy that situation that you haven't seen Star Wars. Maybe before the you next movies come out. <laughs> you like threatened me years ago that you're going to invite me over for something. And yeah. then it would turn out that the something was you sitting on a couch with Star yeah, Wars we'll, DVDs. Michelle and, like, and I will blow waffle smells out into the street while you're walking by. <laughs> You'll be inexorably in. like drawn in and it's just going to be like the opening crawl. I'm not like intentionally avoiding it. It's just never happened. And even if it's been on TV, you're just like, no, not now. Yeah. I mean, mm. I went to see episode one in high school when it came out and I, you know, didn't really pick up much of the stuff there because I had never seen the original. That's a rough, that's a rough spot. Um, episode my one's husband, a rough yeah, spot too. Yeah. My husband's not like a diehard yeah, Star yeah, Wars yeah. fan. So it's never been important to him to make sure that I had seen them. It's just, it's just never happened. It'll happen someday. No, we'll get sure, snowed I'm in. Sure. It'll be the only thing. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. you'll lure me in with waffle smells and like the promise of a Parks and Rec marathon. And it'll be Star Wars instead. Right. It'll be fine. I feel like I've absorbed so much Star Wars no, no, by no, that, the book. The point this book was making is like, you know, it's just out, it's just part. Right. It's just a thing. Of the things you can make a cultural reference to that most people will get. Where else are you going to go besides Star Wars? I mean, there really isn't true. Yeah. All right. We got one more sponsor to get to. And we'll get to new books. Audible. This, Welcome back. This is cool. Audible's. Do, I saw this the other day just in my normal interneting and I was like, this mm. is a really smart idea. So Audible's got this new um, project. So this podcast is brought to you by audible.com, but not only that, but their new show, How to Be Amazing, exclamation point, the punctuation mark, not actually the words. How to Be Amazing <laughs> is a new audio show hosted by Michael Ian Black of Wet Hot American Summer and Stella and just a general funny, a smart things. guy. He's great. Um, he's doing an interview show with Audible. And if you want to get him now, you go to audible.com slash MIB, not men in black, um, Michael Ian Black, and get the first four episodes free. He's going to talk to people about how they got from being just sort of merely, quote unquote, creative to being sort of like, you know, professionally creative powerhouse, like big time people. So the first four episodes, Bob Odenkirk of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, which I haven't I'm seen. I'm going to get on that with a quickness. Elizabeth Gilbert, best known for Eat, Pray, Love, but also the signature of all things with most of our Book Riot contributors liked a lot better than mm -hmm. Eat, Pray, Love. Really yes. liked it. I want to get to that at some point. That was Amanda's favorite book of last yeah, year. Yeah, and Wallace's too, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and she has a new book about creativity coming out this spring, I believe. Lin-Manuel Miranda, creator and star of The Heights and the new musical Hamilton. These were both big Broadway hits of the last couple of years. Well, Hamilton... I think is just now becoming it. And then Tavi Gevinson, who um, is sort of unbelievable. She's like the young woman version of the most interesting man in the world. Yes. Um, she started Rookie Magazine when she was like 15 or something right now. Mm -hmm. And she's 18 now. And she has 50 people working for her. She's the editor in chief. And I don't know, owner or publisher exactly what the business structure of there, but she's the, the head honcho um, and was ranked one of the 25 most influential teens in America as ranked by Time Magazine. She's a powerhouse. For, 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 a, for, a, for a word oriented person, there's no one like her in America, I don't think. Like you can have, you have big pop stars and big actors, but for she like a, lives a publisher. In the, in the center of a really interesting Venn diagram of uh, you know, how rabid audiences for teenage entertainment can be, but she has a very feminist agenda yes. and is writing about women's and feminist issues, but from a, a young woman's perspective and voice and also an unabashed enthusiasm for the things that she supports and also for fashion and art and music yeah. and culture. It's if you've got a I'm, smart teenage daughter, especially, but teenage guys too, yeah, that are creative yeah, and like, like, rookie magazine is like, I would highly recommend that. I usually yes. look, I, I follow the site and I look at some of their articles. It's, it's really great. Like I got 
stupid YM magazine when I was 17. Oh. I would have loved to have Rookie. Oh, yeah, for sure. So if you've got someone in, in your life that they've got a birthday or something coming up, or I think it's only four times a year. Like, it's a beautiful, like, object. It's it's um, just awesome. At any rate, you can listen yeah, to her sorry, talk about it. Right, <laughs> going off about Tammy Gevinson. Um, you can listen to all these four episodes and, you know, everything else that Audible does. So this you can try. Good way to get started with using Audible. I think it's very smart on our part to give you some things for free, Mm -hmm. very lightweight, um, interesting people. So go to audible.com slash MIB and get started. And then everything else that Audible does, what you sort of talk about, the leading provider of audiobooks and everything else like that. Are you listening to anything right now? I am right now. I'm listening to Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. Oh, nice. um, Which is about how we justify bad decisions and hurtful actions and other wrongheaded business um, through sort of a slippery slope of self-justification and cognitive bias. And it's fascinating. Mm. <laughs> like It's also making me a little bit paranoid. They use these great case studies of things that went horribly awry, either in culture or in businesses, and kind of trace it back to like, what was the first action or decision that someone made that then they had to dig in on supporting that action or decision mm. so that they could justify that they were right or good or the better person in the couple or whatever. And there are examples from marriages and stuff too. Um, it's make, like when we have conversations about things, I'm being like, oh my God, what if this is, what if this is not a good idea, but <laughs> I just want it to be a good idea because the other thing seemed like a good idea. Now we're self-justified, right. <laughs> but it's mostly really interesting. Um, like and I'm that. learning lots of random, lots of good little random tidbits for our today. I learned channel on the book riot, uh, nice private social network. It's great. Are listening to something sort of similar to that how to fly a horse by Kevin Ashton. Um, the secret history of creation, invention and discovery. Mm-hmm. It's about science, but also creativity, but in, in, in a non sort of like hippy dippy kind of way. Talking about creation is something that everyone does. And it's really interesting. Like a lot of the things like the negative correlation of IQ and creativity, I thought was really interesting. Huh. Um, that's in there. Um, talking about some like notable sort of famous creative moments that have been, I guess, iconicized, if that's a word, like, mm-hmm. the, like the Wright brothers is the, the titular example of how to fly a horse is they're, they're bicycle people, the Wright brothers. So they, they brought their bicycle knowledge to, yeah. to, um, to flying and they came with a lot of the, assum- they didn't have a lot of the assumption that other people did. Um, and I, I thought it was, it's very, very interesting. The thing, the takeaway for me and just to put it out there because I like talking about is the difference between confidence and certainty to be creative. This, his argument is sort of, you want to be confident, but not certain Um, Mm. because certainty suggests it's beyond all doubt. Whereas with confidence, you think you're doing the best thing you can for that particular moment and that particular decision, but you will let it go because you're confident in yourself, not certain that something is right. And it gives, give these examples of these, these guys that tried to invent the parachute first. Um, and there's these two rivals in Paris in like the late 19th century. And this one guy, he got there first and he threw a 160 pound dummy off the Eiffel Tower with a silk parachute and it opened beautifully. But this other guy who's competing with said, that's, you know, that's crap. You know, you're cheating. You really have to be a person to try it. So he hmm. got up there in his own sort of parachute outfit, didn't oh, listen no. to any of the critics and plummeted oh, no. to his death. Um, off the Eiffel Tower. Actual pride going before yeah, the and actual like, fall. And the difference was the other guy was like, I'm confident my ideas are right, but I'm not certain. Yeah. And so like, I and will so do I'll a trial. And so I'll use a dummy instead of my well, body. Well, the, the other guy thought that anything other than certainty was uh, 
cowardice or, you know, a hedge. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is to give a morbid example of the kinds of thinking that he examines. It talks about the difference between a a grandmaster chess player and merely a master. Um, A a lot of super interesting things. So I'm really, really into it. I'm totally sold. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, you you would be into this book like no other. (laughs) In the wheelhouse that we share. Yeah, the other thing... (laughs) Um, have you ever listened to it on uh, audiobooks on anything other than just the 1x speed? Have you ever done that? No. This is the first. I found the narration a little pokey, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so I tried um, on Audible, and a lot of um, my podcast player does this too. We can do 1x, 1.5x, 2x. 1.5x was too fast. It felt like you're playing the record at the wrong speed. But there's a 1.25x, which is 25% faster, which I found very, very good. The other Hmm. thing, it cut down a 14-hour audiobook to an 11.5-hour audiobook, which is not as zero, uh, you know, that's that's a non-trivial difference for me that I can get through it two hours faster. So that's something if you haven't tried with Mm, Audible, you should try that as well. Um, Especially if you try How to Fly a Horse and you found it as um, molasses-like as I did. (laughs) All right, tell me about some new books. Audible.com. All right. New books this week. The first is Above Us Only Sky mm. by Michelle Youngstone. Uh, this is about a teenage girl when she was born. Her name's Prudence. When Prudence is born in 1973, she has a pair of wings molded to her back. Um, in the text, I think she calls them bifurcated protrusions. Uh, and so the surgeons and her parents see this as a birth defect and the wings are removed. Um, she mm. has scars left behind and she sort of grows up thinking about how she would have had these wings. Uh, when she's 15, she meets her uh, Lithuanian grandfather from whom she's been estranged most of her life. They meet for the first time um, and she finds out that there's this history of women in her family going back for generations um, who have also had wings, Um, storytellers with their wings. Now I'm stealing the copy here because it's so nicely written. Um, Storytellers with wings dragging the dirt, survivors perched on radio towers, lovers lit up like fireworks. Um, As she talks to her grandfather, she also starts to learn more about their family's history. And the story goes back and forth between um, the 1863 January uprising against the Russian czarist rule in Eastern Europe um, that eventually led up to the fall of the Berlin Wall and then Lithuania gaining independence in the 1990s. Um, it's it, it's a big, ambitious novel about major world events, but also about particular human experiences within them. Um, I thought it was really beautiful. I should now also dump a pile of disclaimers on it um, because Michelle is from Richmond, is a friend uh, of mine. Yes. I read the book in manuscript, I think in four drafts. So I got to see this book come to life. Um, but it's it's getting good reviews and other people are liking it too. So you don't have to take my word for it. But if you do, you should know I have a pony in that race. Um, I think it's a really wonderful, beautiful book though. And, and a huge uh, step forward in craft from her debut, The Handbook for Life. Lightning Strike Survivors, which came out several years ago. Um, Also, in real big books that are out this week, The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro. Mm -hmm. A new Ishiguro is a a huge book. Uh, No matter what, it's been a while since we had something from him. And this one is sort of an ancient story, I guess. I haven't read this yet. I haven't Um, either. So it says the Romans have long departed and Britain is steadily declining into ruin, but the wars that once ravaged the country have ceased. Uh, Two of the main characters who are elderly Britons decide that now is the time to set across the troubled land of mist and rain to find the sun that they have not seen for years and can scarcely remember. Um, 
there are Saxon warriors and orphans and knights. And uh, there are like some Tolkien comparisons that have you know been tossed around in book media. Um, I'm really interested in this because the reviews have been so mixed. I was thinking the same thing. And, like, and it's also been not mixed. very long. Right. They've been <laughs> so mixed in, in like, in the professional publications. The reviews have been mixed. Uh, the reviews have been mixed on Book Riot, in the Book Riot back channels. No one in my Twitter stream can agree on it. So I'm really, I loved The Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go. And those books feel so different to me. It's interesting that, like, each Ishiguro thing seems like its own singular book. He's not sort of repeating themes or ideas the way that... I don't know somebody like David Mitchell is, but in an, in his own innovative way. Um, so I'm I'm interested about what this new singular thing will be, and if it's good or not, or what what is it that makes the people who like it like it, and the people who don't like it don't like it. I don't know. I'm very curious. So I'm going to give that one a shot. And in paperback this week uh, is Every Day is for the Thief by Teju Cole, who. Um, is a the book is about a young Nigerian who lives in New York City and goes home to Lagos for a, a short visit, and but he finds the city both familiar and strange, uh, and so it's about being grounded in two different homes, ju- sort of that juggling of identity, but also um, dealing with some of the the cultural problems that he encounters when he goes back uh, to Lagos. I've not read Teju Cole, but Open City, his previous novel, was your favorite book of the year a couple yeah. of years ago, right? It's awesome. It's basically the protagonist is walking around New York and just thinking about the city. Um, and it's beautiful and thoughtful and different. Uh, Cole is a really thoughtful, interesting, erudite guy. Um and he has a new photography column on the New York Times. He's really good about images and photography, especially, which makes for great prose because he's really good at describing um, things that are being seen. I haven't read this one. I, I don't remember exactly the story. I think maybe he wrote it first before mm. Open City and then it was out of print in America and it was back in print. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But I, this is definitely on my list. If you love New York or you love cities especially, Open City is a really um, great bit of writing about cities and the experience of walking especially New York, one of the great, one of the world's great walking cities, um, a, a really good way of thinking about it as well. Uh, he's a fascinating, smart guy. And, um, one of the real treasures of, um, you know, the younger generation of writers that are working in America for lack of a better adjective, cause I wouldn't call him American necessarily, but also mm-hmm. he is, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's diaspora and living between continents and writing about multiple places and locations. So it's not, it's America in like the most the broadest sense of thinking yeah, about America. There are some broad comparisons made between Every Day is for the Thief and um Chimamande Adichie's Americana. Yeah, yeah that's that makes some sense um for thinking about how they're writing across continents and memory and location and time. Um those are really good. We we should talk that's the books. Okay, so March tenth, so bet- this is between this episode and the next episode. We're not gonna have a chance to talk to you again. Book Riot Live tickets are going on sale March tenth at one PM. I think we said last time the first two hundred and fifty tickets for the most ardent and loyal of fans um are $119 and then the regular price tickets are $169. Go on sale March 10th at 1 p.m. Eastern, brlive.com. Bookriotlive.com. Right? Yes. Sorry. I always do that. I, I, <laughs> BR and Book Riot, li- Book Riot in my mind mean the same thing. And uh, 
If you're not signed up for it, we have a mailing list for Book Riot Live that you can find. We'll put a link in the show notes or you can search uh, the site for it. You can sign up and then we'll send you an email that says, hey, it's live and you can register now. But if you just want to set your calendar alert, if you're going to come hang out with us in New York on November 7th and 8th, set your calendar alert for 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on March 10th. Amanda will be there. A bunch of people Mm -hmm. we've heard about, Amina, that we can't, we'll we'll talk about, we'll go through the offer lineup next week. Yeah, we're so close to getting to announce some of the speakers. But a lot of the authors, a lot. So, a lot. We've talked a lot about a lot of others in 96 episodes. That would be uh, an exaggeration. But some of the names are going to be familiar from this show and the other podcasts we've done and the things we talked about on the site. We barely can restrain ourselves. But if we said anything else right now, I think Northington would stab both of us um, <laughs> in places we would not like to be stabbed, which is most places. And we're already having fluid problems. Yeah, I'm all, so. I mean, I just leak out. I bleed out. I <laughs> mucus out. The Jeff O'Neill seduction. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Uh, it's, all, it's all glamour here today in Brooklyn. So as always, thank you guys so show. much for listening. You can send us comments or questions. We are still taking questions for the 100th episode, which is coming up fast. You've, so fast. You've got probably another week or so to get questions in. Email us at podcast at bookriot.com. You can find show notes for this show at podcast.com. Excuse me, bookriot.com slash bookriot. No. <laughs> slash podcast. Bookriot.com, bookriot.com slash podcast. podcast. My day quill is wearing off. Uh, and you can rate us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at BookRiot. That's the whole site. I'm at the Jeff O'Neill. She's at Rebecca Shinsky. S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. All right. That's good. That's enough of this drabble for people. We've, we've subjected them to enough, don't you think? Have a good week, folks. Bye-bye. <laughs>